so much. These are helping us with the contemporary service. They come out every week and practice and practice at other times. And they do such a wonderful job. We appreciate them. And uh, our sound man in the back, so glad to be able to worship the Lord in this way. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and find uh, today 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're kind of in between series right now. 
We finished up Psalm 27. We led a series we're working on. Please pray with me about that. And eventually, God willing, we will introduce that series and talk about that. But here in between, we're looking at some various things. And as I was thinking about this week, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And we'll look at that passage in a moment. Uh, years ago, the following article appeared in the What in the World News Bulletin. And the headline of the article was this, A new website will say your prayers for you for a fee. The article said the site dubbed Information Age Prayer says it's a subscription service utilizing a computer with text-to-speech capability to encant your prayers each day for $3.95 a month, only $3.95. You get the satisfaction of knowing that your prayers will always be said even if you wake up late or forget. Protestants, you'll be excited, can get the Lord's Prayer prayed daily. Jews can get the Shema. Muslims can't officially count the site's prayers for their daily tally, the site admits, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And Catholics can get multiple Hail Marys at just seven cents each. Well, years ago I checked it out. I haven't looked recently to see if it's still up and running, but it was at the time I checked years ago, and there were lots of options available for a fee. In fact, I found this very interesting. If your children don't pray anymore... (laughs) sign them up for one of the many daily prayers available for each religion. You may also want to have a prayer said for them directly. The prayer for children is the cheapest information age prayer service and only $1.99 a month. And then I I really like this part. How are prices decided? I mean, when you're pricing out prayers, you have to think through that really hard. And they said their prices are determined by the length of the prayer A discounted prayer will cost less than other prayers of similar length. Well, that would be funny uh, in some regards if it were not sad uh, to think that people would pay to have their prayers done on a computer. But I will give them this. People that subscribe to that, uh, at least they thought prayer was important enough to at least pay for it. How important is prayer in your life? Think about that for a moment. How important is prayer in your life? Is it a necessity? Is it a must? Or is it just an option? Well, I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, this morning. <coughs> and it's the perfect passage uh, for July 4th weekend. As we think about our freedoms, we think about our nation, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about how we can be good citizens, how we can help our nation um, and not hurt our nation. And this passage is a perfect passage for us to look at uh, during this weekend. So First uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 8. The Bible says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I want you to notice that the importance that prayer is given here. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
And in the very first verse of this passage, he said, I exhort first of all, first of all, first of all, pray. First thing, pray. When you study the life of the Apostle Paul, you study the life of the Lord Jesus. When you look at the early church, you cannot help but come away understanding that prayer was a vital part of their lives and the life of the early church. In fact, our Lord Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And I wonder as the Lord looks upon Red Hill Baptist Church, would he honestly be able to say about our church, this is a house of prayer. God forbid that prayer ever becomes just the thing that we do at the beginning and the end, kind of to sum up and sum uh, out the, the service, or just something as a transition time, or just something we do because we just do it. Prayer must be a vital part of our church life, but also a vital part of our personal lives and our journey of faith. And so I want to look at this passage, these eight verses today, and I want to ask and answer four questions from the passage. I'll give you the four questions up front. If you're taking notes, don't worry. They'll all be on the screen in a moment. But I'll give them to you up front so you know where we're going. And if you're anxious to go, you'll know when we're almost done, all right? I'll give you the four, then we'll talk about them one by one. The four questions I want to ask and answer from this passage is, first of all, what types of prayer should we pray? What types of prayer should we pray? Secondly, who are we to pray for? Who are we to pray for? Thirdly, why should we pray? I mean, that's a valid question. Why should we pray? And number four, where should we pray? So you know where we're going. Let's get on the journey. First question we'll look at. What types of prayer should we pray? You look at verse 1, beloved. You may have noticed that the Apostle Paul, again, writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he does not just say prayer and prayers and just leave it at that. He uses different words describing different types of prayer. Here in the New King James, he uses the word supplications prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. There are different types of prayer. Let's talk about those for a moment. What is a supplication? I doubt very seriously anybody in this room, unless you were doing a Bible study or talking about Scripture, you used the word supplication or supplicate this past week. Anybody use that word in your everyday vocabulary? No, we don't use that word very often. The word supplication or to supplicate These are requests for particular or specific needs. So when you supplicate, you're asking God for something in particular. You're asking God for something specific. So maybe you need $100 to pay a bill. And so you supplicate, you ask God to give you, to provide $100. That's supplications. Prayers is another word he used. And of course, that's a general word for prayers. Different types of prayer. We might put in that confession. So you've sinned. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First uh, John 1, 9. So that's a type of prayer. Adoration. We're bringing glory to God. Thank you, God, for your glory, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love, uh, for your long suffering. Thank you that you're all, all present and all powerful. So maybe a prayer of adoration. Prayers is general. And then the third is intercessions. And I think the majority know what they're talking about there. And we're talking about when you go to God on behalf of somebody else, you're interceding. That means if somebody else has a need or somebody else needs something or you have them upon your heart, you go to God and intercede to God on their behalf. We do that every time we meet. When you give a prayer request, we did it just a moment ago, we interceded for other people. Please bless, please heal, please provide, please whatever. And then the last one's pretty obvious, giving of thanks. And those are prayers where we offer thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. So the point that we find in the very first verse here is there are more than just one type of prayer, and we should be offering more than one type of prayer. 
What often happens is we kind of have a glorified Christmas list like we would take to Santa Claus in December. You know, maybe you still do that, maybe you don't, but you know, you write your list out, maybe the end of November, first part of December, everything I want, and then you go and you see Santa at the mall and you take your list with you. And I'm afraid a lot of times as believers, that's what we do with God. We have a long list of everything that we want, we desire. And by the way, you should take your wants and desires to the Lord. If someone noted, you have a right to want it, you have a right to pray about it, that's fine. You have a right to desire it, pray about it. But that should not be the sum total of our prayer life. There should be intercessions, there should be adoration, there should be confession, and there certainly should be thanksgiving. And so we understand that there are different types of prayer. So think about your prayer life. What does your prayer life pretty much consist of? Um, It's been said jokingly that a lot of church prayers over the years have just become an organ recital. As we pray for everybody's organs, please bless, bless their liver, please kill their heart. And we ought to pray for people's organs. We ought to pray for people's health concerns. But the problem is sometimes our prayers never grow beyond that. God forbid we should pray for someone physically, but not pray for them spiritually. Because the spiritual is the most important. And so we have different types of prayer. But the second question is, who are we to pray for? Because think about it, there's a lot of people in the world, billions of people, uh, Thousands of people we might interact with on a weekly basis. We come and go. Um, So how do we know who to pray for? Well, that's a good question. Well, notice what it says in verse 1. He says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men. That includes women. That's a general statement there. For all men and women. In other words, for everybody. I want you to pray for everybody. And you might say, well, preacher, what does it mean when it says all men? It means all men. It means everybody. But you say, wait a minute, I don't know everybody. I can't know everybody. There's billions of people I don't know. That doesn't matter. We don't have to know them personally in order to pray for them. We don't have to know their name to pray for them. Can I just encourage, I know some of you already do this, can I encourage you starting today and especially this week to just begin praying for people that you see. Pray for people you interact with. Pray for people when you ride by their house. In other words, you may already be doing this. I know some do. Maybe you're traveling along the highway and maybe there's an accident and you see medical personnel and you see people there and, and you lift your heart in prayer. Lord, please be with that family. Be with the situation. Be with the first responders. Bless them. Help them. Encourage them. You know, you're praying for them. But you can pray for everybody you come in contact with. Anybody you come in contact with. You're walking down the sidewalk and you see somebody, you can pray for them. You can just lift your heart to the Lord right then and just pray for them. Because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs a Savior. Albert Barnes said, Prayer should be made for all men. For all men need the grace and mercy of God. Thanks should be rendered for all. For all may be saved. And so as you're going about your day, imagine how your day would change if you became an intercessor for those around you. When, When you guys get to go back to school, Whenever that is, you know, you're walking down the hall, you can pray for your fellow classmates. When you're at work, you can pray for people. You can, when you're walking, I love to prayer walk. When you go right by somebody's house, you can pray. Just begin praying for people. You don't have to know them. Just pray for them. They're having a rough day. You see it. Whatever is going on, begin to lift your heart in prayer. Why? Because the Bible says we're to pray for everybody. Pray for all men. Everybody needs Jesus. We ought to pray that everybody would come to know Jesus. So we're to pray for all men, everybody. Then he gets specific in verse 2. In verse 2, he says it moves from all men. In verse 2, he says, for kings. You say, well, we're off the hook. Well, not so fast. Although we do not have a king in our nation, we know that there are nations who do have 
kings and queens. We should be praying for them. But this has the idea of rulers. And so let's think about America for a moment. We have a president. We have a vice president. We have senators. We have representatives. And then you continue coming down through the ranks, through the local levels, governor, lieutenant governor, state legislature, on and on, mayor, uh, councils, keep on coming down. It has the idea of rulers, those who are in authority. Um, and by the way, there's nothing here that says that you pray for them if they're good people. Did you notice it didn't say if they're godly people, pray for them? It doesn't say if you like them, pray for them. It doesn't even say if you voted for them, pray for them. It just says pray for kings. Matthew Henry said, the old commentator, pray for kings. Though the kings at this time when this was written were heathens, enemies to Christianity, and persecutors of Christians. That's who was in charge. Because why? It's for the public good that there should be civil government and proper persons entrusted with the administration of it. They need prayer. You may have heard in the years gone by, he's still on the radio, he's been in glory for a long time, the old Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee, had a very distinct voice. If you heard him, you would know what I'm talking about. What he wrote about this was quite humorous. Now remember, he's in glory, been gone a long time. Here's what he said. Paul says that Christians are to pray for public officials, and I take it that he meant that prayers were to be made in the church. To bring this up to date, he's saying that Democrats ought to pray for Republicans and Republicans ought to pray for Democrats. Then he said, many years ago, a famous chaplain of the Senate was asked by a visitor a question. So remember, this is the Senate chaplain, the U.S. Senate chaplain. A visitor asked him, do you pray for the senators? Do you pray for the senators? I mean, that's a pretty logical question to ask the chaplain of the Senate. And the the chaplain said, no, I look at the senators and I pray for the country. (laughs) And J. Vermeer says that that's exactly what Paul says we need to do. We need to pray for our country. We need to be pray for those in authority. If you have a Republican and a Democrat in office, pray for them. If you're a Democrat and Republicans in office, pray for them. Would you agree they need our prayers? Would you agree that we need to lift them up? Can I just be honest for you? Say, so what would you pray? I think one of the, the most basic things to pray is they would grow up and mature and get along and be civil. And work together for the common good of the nation and the people. I better leave that. Some are getting nervous. But that's the truth. To pray that they would be true leaders. Not conflicted with self-interest. But realize the position they hold and the power they hold. And the place of prominence they've been placed in by God Almighty because all authority is ordained is ordained of God. And that they would put the nation, the people, before their own politics and their own agendas. So there's a lot we can pray for our leaders. And then he goes on to say what? Not only for all men and kings, but then he says in verse 2, for all that are in authority. So now it's been broadened even wider. All that are in authority. And so we would say, you know, well, that would include law enforcement, right? That would include uh, those in positions of authority. So those who are uh, leaders in the school system, those that are leaders in various capacities. In your own life, God has put authority, your supervisors, your boss, those who are the administrators, all who are in authority. Why? Because all authority is ordained of God. Only reason people have authority is because God has allowed them to have that authority. And again, notice that it doesn't say here if you like them, if you voted for them, if you approve of them, 
Because the truth of the matter is, hopefully you pray for those you don't like and you don't approve of even more. Especially if they're doing ungodly things. So who should we pray for? Well, pretty simple. Everybody! For kings and all of them authority. Third question. Why should we pray? Well, we could talk about that for a long time. Uh, we could talk about the fact that we're commanded to pray, we're invited to pray, Jesus modeled prayer, and all that's right, and we could continue down that path, but I want to stick to the passage before us. And there are three things in particular the passage before us uh, teaches us concerning why we should pray. Uh, the first part we find here as we look at um, verse number 2 again. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may, watch this, lead a quiet and peaceable life. So the first reason we ought to pray is that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Years ago, William MacDonald, he wrote these words, and as I read them in 2020, in the world in which we're living, they just really just jumped off the page. It said, it is for our own good that the government should be stable and that the country be preserved. Preserved from what? from revolution, civil war, turmoil, and anarchy. When I read those words, read this passage, I got to thinking about it as I looked around at our world today. And I couldn't help but think that maybe I'm part of the problem. The reason there's lawlessness, the reason there's unrest, the reason there's a lot of things going on is partly my fault. You say, what do you mean? I'm not sure I've prayed enough for those in authority. I'm not sure I prayed enough for my country. I'm not sure I prayed enough for my president and vice president and senators and representatives and governor and lieutenant governor and on down the way. We are... Yes? All right. Well, there you go. We've got one of our elected officials with us, as you know. And he needs wisdom. He needs wisdom. And I'm afraid that we as believers, listen, we've talked about it, we've complained about it, we've griped about it, but how much have we prayed about this stuff? I just wonder what would have happened if we had taken as much time as we have doing all I just mentioned and had turned that to prayer and prayed for our elected officials. And pray for those in authority over us. Why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. I love that's in the scripture, by the way. Now, we are blessed where we live that all that's going on has not maybe come as much to us where we are. We're always a little bit behind the times. That's not a bad thing, by the way. But we're always a little bit behind it. We're beginning to see some of that blossom. And so a lot of us were blessed in some regards to lead a quiet and peaceful life. But a lot of that's been disrupted. That really doesn't describe our lives at the moment, does it? Quiet and peaceable life. We're living in turmoil. We're living in uncertainty. We're living in all kinds of stuff, wondering what's going to happen. And so God says, listen, I want you to pray for all men, for kings, for all in authority. They may lead a quiet and peaceable life. But then there's a second thing here, and that is that we may please God. Look at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. And so we want to please God. And one of the ways that we please God is to pray, to seek to lead a quiet and peaceable life, to pray for all men, to pray for those in our authority. And so part of our prayer life is to please. It's fellowship with God. 
It's worship with God. It's spending time with God. Um, prayer should not be something we're coerced to do or forced to do. It's a relationship. But then there's a third thing here in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Who desires, talking about God, God desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So the third reason we ought to pray according to this passage is that people might be saved. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ came and gave His life, shed His precious blood, died, was buried and rose again, that all men could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All people could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, no one's going to be saved. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In other words, it says there's only one way to heaven. That's what it means. There's only one God and one mediator. A mediator is one that goes between. So if you're having a battle, maybe you're fighting, I've been called in a situation before to be a mediator between people. By the way, that ain't fun. Pardon my grammar, but sometimes that ain't fun. Well, we, we were enemies of God. We messed up. God is perfect, always has been, always will be. We sinned. Our sin separates us from a holy God. There's one mediator, that is the go-between, that is the Lord Jesus. You've seen the illustration of the bridge. Man is here. God is here. There's a great chasm between. The cross is what is the bridge. And the Bible says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. He paid the price to be testified in due time. Do we truly believe that? Most Christians that I ask that question, most people here, if I were to say to you, is Jesus the only way to heaven? You would say absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. He's the only way to heaven. But then my next question is this. Do we pray like that? Do we pray like that? Because there's not multiple ways to heaven. There's not many ways to heaven. There aren't even two ways to heaven. There's only one mediator, only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we need to pray for people to be saved. And by the way, if you're lost today, and you say, I don't know about this. Let me read that verse again. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all. He paid your price. He loves you. And if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, you will be born again. So why should we pray? Well, in the midst of a lot of other things we could talk about, there are three main things here that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And a lot of y'all say with me, boy, I'd love to get back to a quiet, peaceful life. That we may please God because we're communing with God. We're, we're, by the way, prayer is a declaration of dependence. We're celebrating the Declaration of Independence, but it's a de declaration of dependence. God, I need you. We sang it earlier. Lord, I need you. And then that men may be saved. Now, I told you there are four questions. Some of you have been counting down, waiting, saying, yes, we're almost done. Number four, where should we pray? Is prayer something that only is to take place in the church? Is prayer something just reserved for Sundays and Wednesdays and holidays when we're gathered together? Must we go to church to pray? Well, of course, you know the answer to that, beloved. Look at verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt. Now, I hope that when you come to church, you pray. I hope you come on Sundays and Wednesdays to pray. I hope you pray all the holidays. I hope you pray all those times I talked about. But you can pray anywhere and everywhere, and God says, I want you to do that. I want you to pray everywhere. Pray everywhere with pure hands and hearts and faith. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, Rodney, this is pretty basic stuff. I mean, pretty much everything you told me I already knew. And could you have come up with something a little more dynamic to share? Well, beloved, let me ask you something. What is more dynamic than prayer? I mean, what is more dynamic than prayer? I, I cannot get a direct line between myself and Donald Trump. I can't get a direct line between myself and Mike Pence. I can't even get Governor Cooper on the line. I can't get Dan Forrest on the line. I could probably call a senator's representative. I'd probably get an aide or an assistant. On the county level, it's a lot easier. What I'm saying is this. I can't talk to the highest level of government. I can't talk to that individual. But I can talk to God Almighty. I never get turned away. Never get a busy signal. Never get a runaround. Never get an email, thanks for contacting me. We really value and consider your opinion. Delete. Never get any of that. I get an open ear to God Almighty, the Creator. The one who is the overall authority. And we can go to the Lord and talk to Him about everything and anything and everybody all the time. I was reminded of the awesomeness of this one time when I was reading a devotion on our daily bread. The devotion was based on Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, where it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, good, good, give good gifts to them that ask Him? And the lady writing the devotional today was named Cindy Hess Casper. She wrote these words, With a handful of Cheerios, I tiptoed across the deck in my backyard trying to sneak up on the fish in the pond. Perhaps it was my shadow on the water or maybe I wasn't as sneaky as I thought. As I approached the railing, 15 enormous goldfish raced toward me, their large mouths frantically opening and closing in eager anticipation of an expected treat. So why did the fish so furiously flap their fins? By the way, that's hard to say ten times in a row. Why do the fish so furiously flap their fins? Because my mere presence, my mere presence set off a conditioned response in their tiny fish brains that told them I had something special to give them. And then she wrote these words, If only we always had such a response to God and His desire to give us good gifts. In other words, what she's saying in a very, very nice way is we are not even as smart as fish. Those fish knew that when they heard the creak and they saw the shadow and they saw this creature come, that treats were coming and they were expected and they were ready because the presence of this creature who was there brought with it good things. And she said, if only we always had such a response to God and his desire to give us good gifts, a response based on our past experience with him that flows from a deep-seated knowledge of his character. And then she quoted missionary William Carey. William Carey is the one who said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. She said God desires to equip us perfectly for what he wants us to do, and he invites us to come boldly to find mercy and grace in the time of need. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And then she closed by saying this, when we as God's children are living in faith, when we're living in faith, we can have an exciting expectancy and a quiet confidence that God will give us exactly what we need when we need it. 
Do you have an expectancy? I mean, is your prayer life really built on a quiet, deep-seated confidence and an expectancy that God is going to answer? I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of times we pray and we really don't expect anything to happen. Now, we wouldn't say that. But we're a lot like the early church. Remember Peter's in jail? And they're praying for... They have a prayer meeting. Lord, please release him. Please release him. Please release him. And you remember the story? He comes... And the little girl goes to the door, looks out, it's Peter! And she doesn't open the door, she runs back, tells her, it's Peter! They said, yeah, it's not Peter. Now they're praying for Peter. Boldly, God, please! He's standing at the door. He can't get in his own prayer meeting. And I think we do the same thing a lot of times. We pray, and we pray, and we pray. We really don't expect anything. Because you know why I know? Because when God does answer our prayer, we're like, oh! Can't believe it. But sometimes God, even in our lack of faith, will bless us. Are we expected? Do we really believe that prayer is going to change things? Someone was sharing with my wife just recently about the fact that they had been attending a new church and they had gotten in a small group and um, this individual was there and, and they were praying and they began to go around and share prayer requests and Sometimes they were praying they wouldn't get to the Bible study. They were praying so much. And just the experience of being prayed for and seeing prayer and seeing believing prayer and seeing people that believed in prayer has totally changed her life in many ways. And so what I want to challenge you with on this July 4th weekend is pray. Now, sometimes I know you leave and you might go to the lake and you see friends and say, well, did you go to church this morning? Yeah. What's your preacher preaching? I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know. I hope today you can say, well, pray. Prayer. Oh, what do you say about prayer? Well, to do it. <laughs> pray for everybody. Pray all the time. Pray everywhere. In the olden days, we used to use the illustration. And by the way, you younger ones don't have the advantage of this, but you know, the phone used to be on the wall and used to be corded to the wall and you could only go so far as the cord would let you. You were really blessed. Your parents had a long cord. You'd go around the corner. But a lot of times you would step that wall and you only go as far. And the old illustration back then was prayer would be like leaving the receiver off the hook because <clears throat> as long as you left the receiver off the hook and that line was connected, you could come back and say, well, hold on a minute. And you would run, do whatever, and you'd come back and say, are you still there? Yeah, I'm there. And that illustration doesn't work so much now because very few of us have phones like that. So I got to thinking, how do I modernize that illustration? And then it dawned on me, well, I've got a perfect modernization, a text message. How many of you have long-running text messages with loved ones, a mom, a dad, aunt, uncle, child, grandchild? And that message is on your phone. It's on there now. You don't delete that message. It's always on there. And you just keep using it. And it comes back, and you'll send something to them, and then later they'll send something back. And you just go through, and you can go back and you can scroll back through and see. And you never delete that message. It just goes back and forth. It's always on there. You don't think anything of it. When you see one, it's there, and you add to it, and then you respond back. And I thought, that's a perfect illustration, I think, of what our prayer life should be like. It's always there. God speaking to our hearts. We're speaking to Him. We don't delete it. We don't swipe and push delete. We just leave it on there. Leave it open. And all throughout the day, we... We're talking to the Lord. The Lord's speaking to us 
we're talking to the Lord and we're going about our day, sometimes just a thought prayer, sometimes just God help me, sometimes Lord don't let me kill my kids, you know, just that kind of prayer as you go about your day. Give me patience. Give me wisdom. You, you think about a loved one, you pray for them. Somebody's sick, you're, you're burdened about something and you just, you just keep, just like you would a text, back and forth. That's what it means, I think, when it says in the Bible, pray without ceasing. Yes, there are times we get along with God and we get on our knees and there we get in our prayer closet and we come to prayer meeting. Yes, and all that's right and good. But prayer is more than just that. I want people, he says, to pray everywhere with pure heart and pure hands. And so I want to encourage you today to pray. When, as you go throughout your day, you see somebody on the side of the road, just pray for them. You see somebody in line, just pray for them. Just pray. If, when you're frustrated with somebody, pray for them. Just, just pray for them. You don't, as you're driving, pray. Don't close your eyes, but pray. Just all throughout your day. That's what he's saying here. First of all, pray. Pray for all men. Pray for kings. Pray for all that in authority. We may lead a quiet and peaceful life. I want everybody to be saved. Pray for them to be saved. Pray different prayers. Not just gimme, gimme, gimme. Because don't forget to thank God as you go throughout your day. Very simple. Pray. And I think we ought to do that close today before we sing. Father, Lord, I don't want to discourage anybody here. I know sometimes when we have a message on prayer that people, they beat themselves up and they feel bad and whatnot. Lord, we can come today and we can be forgiven for any prayerlessness in our life and I pray that we would. Forgive us for not praying like we ought. Help us to fall in love with you to the point we can't help but pray. Thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to talk to you. Lord, we pray for our nation today. We pray for our president, our vice president, our senators, our representatives. We pray for our brother as he has this difficult decision even this week on a local level. And there are many more difficult decisions, I'm sure, that are looming in the days to come. So Lord, we lift him up. We lift up all these that are in authority to you, the ultimate authority, and pray that you would give wisdom and grace and help in these days in which we live. And Lord, help us to praise you, to worship you, to honor you, to give thanksgiving to you because you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. So Lord, help us to take this message, not just let it go in one end or out the other, but to take it and put it in use beginning today. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We do want to close with a song that is kind of a prayer to the Lord. It says you give light, you give love, light to the darkness. Your breath in our lungs, we pour out our praise. <clears throat> we pour out our praise to you. Let's stand together and close with this song. Great are you, Lord.
So we fall.